Sarah here. What a week. This episode launches June 4th, and before beginning, I wanted to share that this episode was pre-recorded in February, before it feels like the world fell apart. So before we get to the episode, we wanted to acknowledge the death, the murder of George Floyd, Ahmed Arbery, and Breonna Taylor, and the many, many others in this country. As a country, we need to do better, and as individuals, we need to do better. We need to take right action and figure out what that is. It's hard not to feel sad and not to feel hopeless at times like these. What are we doing about this? We're thinking about race now more than ever. We're taking time to go inward and reflect and create ways to make our lives, our families, and SLP Happy Hour an inclusive and safe space which shares a variety of perspectives. I know I need to learn more, listen more, there's a lot I have to learn, and so does our country. As a country, we need to do better, not just personally, but politically, and just for our country as a whole, this cannot continue. As we move forward with SLP Happy Hour episodes, we will continue to discuss self-care, burnout, mental health, happiness, and habit change. We know that We can't pour from an empty cup, and neither can you, and sometimes it's the little things that help us have the energy and bandwidth to do big things. Our podcast is a small gift, and we have no illusions of its effect, but a small good is still a good, and sometimes when life is hard in times like these, it feels like a small good is all there is. So please enjoy this SLP Happy Hour episode. Take care of yourselves. Be gentle and kind to yourself and to each other, and now on to the show. Welcome to the SLP Happy Hour Podcast. On this podcast, we talk about burnout, mental health, and how to be more content in your life and career. We're glad you're here. Thank you for listening in. I'm Sarah, and up today, a day in the life. We'll describe a day in the life of a school SLP and a telepractice SLP. I'm the telepractice SLP, and I work in telepractice halftime and in my own private practice halftime. My favorite thing about telepractice is the freedom I have in my schedule, and my favorite thing about private practice is how much it challenges me and builds my skills in specific areas, and right now I'm building my skills in dyslexia and autism. I'm Sari, and I'm the school SLP, although technically your telepractice is also a school job. (laughs) But I'll walk you through a day in the life of my um, site school job. Um, But first up, we're going to share a story, and we're going to share some what's up, what's going well in our lives, and something we're struggling with, a lazy lesson, and we'll review an article that talks about whether or not it's appropriate to be wearing leggings at work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So speaking of the schools, though, I do want to share that uh, my favorite thing about working in the schools is the students that I serve. I love the school age. Just the level of conversations that I can have with the students, the variety of uh, communication services I get to provide, and uh, the school team I get to work with, and I like dressing up for school spirit days. So that brings me up to story time. Speaking of my school, my story time relates to my setting, which I don't know if I've mentioned before. I may have. I currently work in my former elementary school. And I also serve my former high school, 
And so I just was reflecting on this. And when I graduated from high school back in the day, (laughs) I did not want to come back to this area. I wanted to leave. I had what my family calls itchy feet. I wanted to travel, get the heck out of Dodge and never look back. And I did just that. I traveled a lot in undergrad. I met my husband in Taiwan. Um, But things happened while I was traveling. We had some family deaths. I lost a really good friend who was the same age as me who passed away. And I had to process and mourn the loss of these people alone, isolated from my family and friends and not able to share that experience with them. And that was really a wake up call for me that I missed being a part of that community. (laughs) And I was ready for travel to be more of a hobby than a lifestyle. So my husband and I moved back, we found jobs. Uh, The first ones that came up for me was in, of course, the Rogue Valley, which is where I grew up. So that's how we ended up back here. And then I went through the process of going to grad school and getting my master's in speech pathology. And the first job I took was for the school district where I previously went to school. And then eventually I got offered a placement at my former elementary school and high school. So at first, I honestly kind of felt ashamed that I had come back and that here I am basically back where I started and I hadn't gone anywhere and done the things that I thought I would be doing. There's a picture, a senior picture of me hanging up in the library at the elementary school with a little narrative that I wrote about how I was going to be a teacher and travel the world and teach kids to read. <laughs> and I looked at that and thought, I, I didn't do that. I, I didn't do the things that I said I was going to do. And I kind of felt um, some regret that I hadn't done what I set out to do. And here I was back where I started, like I said. And then I started seeing the kids that I work with at my elementary school and, and bumping into people in the community that knew me since I was yay tall and all of these familiar faces and feeling this love. It was kind of like if you like watch the It's a Wonderful Life, Bedford Falls um, Jimmy Stewart's character grows up in Bedford Falls. He always wants to leave and then he, <laughs> he never does. He stays there. But he has this beautiful community of love and people. And it, I just had a wake up call recently where I realized I know these kids. I know this community and I love it. And there is a huge value in being able to give back to this place where I grew up and to this place where Um, I started out. So I now, I no longer regret it or feel ashamed. I've reached a happy place and I'm quite proud that I work for my former elementary and my former high school. Hmm. And that's so interesting, your take on seeing that in the library, because things like you traveled the world, well, you did, and that you'll teach kids to read while you teach kids to communicate and you work in education, which you do. So when you when you were describing reading that in the library, I thought you were going to take the opposite view because I feel like you are doing those things. (laughs) Thank you, Sarah. (laughs) That's a whole new light I hadn't thought about with that narrative. I think a piece of it too was I'd wanted to join the Peace Corps Mm. and uh, that was something I, I never checked off my bucket list. 
But you did teach English abroad, right? I did. Yeah. So that's about getting back to your roots. Um, I live here, but I'm from the city. So I kind of got out of the busy city experience. So it's just a very interesting to see how we both ended up in the same place at the same time from really different stories. Mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing that. And uh, as a check-in, we're going to switch on up to the next thing. We love to share what's up and what's down, something adding to our happiness and something detracting from our happiness as we start the show. We trade off on who gets each and up this episode, Sari is sharing what's down. So I went clothes shopping the other day and I went into Old Navy, grabbed a couple of things, took them to the dressing room. And I had my sunglasses on my head, and normally I put them directly into my sunglasses case because they're a nice pair of Ray-Bans, and they're my favorite pair. I wear them all the time. But I set them down on the bench in the dressing room. I start changing, and I (laughs) forgot that they were on the bench. And wouldn't you know it, if I didn't sit down right on top of the glasses... They shattered, one of the lenses just shattered to a billion pieces. Thank goodness I didn't get cut. But talk about embarrassing when you have to walk out of the dressing room and ask the attendant for a broom so you can clean up the glass shards from sitting on your sunglasses. (laughs) So that was quite embarrassing, not to mention to replace the lenses was like $50. Ouch. Yeah. So what do you do? Do you do you be more careful or do you just like buy the $2 sunglasses? That's the next question. Oh, right? no, I bought I love these glasses too much. <laughs> I bought the new $50 lenses. We already my husband already put them in back in the frames. So they look <laughs> the same. But uh, I am way more car- careful. I always put them in back in the case now back in the case. Never just set them down. It will never happen again. Nope. Okay. Uh, let's see what's up for me is this upcoming break. I will still be working in private practice, but I won't be working my school contract, which is telepractice. And I'm also looking forward to uh, working part-time in the summer. So I'm someone who thinks about work when I'm not at work, although I'm getting better at that. Um, But the downside is it can be difficult to separate from work. And I really do rely on these breaks to work on that, to gain a sense of perspective and to just feel better and have more happiness. I'm looking forward to this upcoming break for you too, Sarah. (laughs) You care about your work so deeply and I know it's hard to separate from it at times. So I'm thrilled that this break is coming up and that you'll get some more time to be with your family. And this time will just be embedded into your schedule. It won't be something you have to carve out or make time for between your work schedule. Speaking of work though, I do have a work-related lazy lesson idea to share. Right, and this one sounds so great because it involves uh, almost all the learners I work with, one of their favorite things, which is crashing objects down. So, And it's usually a win with a wide variety of ages. So again, first up, what is a lazy lesson? Because we're about to share one. These are easy lessons you don't need to buy things for, you don't need to prep for. They're all either no prep or very low prep. And what are we knocking down today, Sari? (laughs) Toppling towers. It's a classic game. It never gets old to knock towers down. So this game originally, I do have to say, was not a lazy lesson. It was a very fancy Angry Birds game that I had made. 
uh, complete with little ping pong balls that I had colored and drawn little angry bird faces on. And I also had a slingshot that the kids could slingshot the ping pong balls at some little pigs that I drew on paper cups. Did you do this as a, did you do this as a CF? I did this as a grad student. Okay. Actually. I was going to say, mm-hmm. this doesn't sound like a working SLPs lesson. Nope, okay. This was a grad student lesson. Um, but I quickly learned that there's an easy version and all you need are paper cups or softballs, bean bags or rolled up clean socks if you don't have any of those fancy things. So during your speech session, the kids work to earn uh, the balls or whatever it is you're going to throw. And then during the last two minutes or halfway through, however you want to break it up, that's when you give them the balls and let them try to knock the tower down. So they're practicing, practicing, and every time they practice, they earn a little ball to throw. And then when you're ready for that brain break, that's when you let them knock down the tower. And it's uh, easy, again, token lesson because I love those token response activities. And the kids are very motivated to earn the balls that they can throw. It's fun. You know, I've done that uh, kind of the opposite way where it's the paper cups, but they're um, face up. Mm-hmm. And the kid gets a pom-pom or a ping pong ball and they have to throw it into the cup. Oh, yeah. So there's a lot you can do with like a cup. And a small ball or a pom-pom. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, Sarah, you're the queen of token games where there's like this quick response and reward um, and of coming up with games that are really no nonsense and don't take a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, for a low prep version of this, uh, I use cardboard blocks and I stack in kind of a pyramid shape and I knock them down. Um, bowling pins you can use mm-hmm. if you already have them. Anything that crashes, <laughs> it's going to go good. Yeah. Uh, so we hope this lazy lesson was helpful. And if you give it a try, let us know. Next up, an article segment where Sari shares an article review of something we've both been reading and talking about this week. And we think you might want to hear about it too. So up this episode, an article about what we wear to work. That's right. I'm talking about what we wear to work, specifically leggings in the workplace. And this stems from an article in The Atlantic called, Is It Weird to Wear Leggings at Work? And it's about this very topic where the author is going to outline the pros and cons about wearing these stretchy bottoms to work. No conclusive decision is made in this article, I have to say, but there are a lot of different opinions on either side. We will link up to it in the show notes for you to review. And I'll just say that on one side, leggings are very comfortable And there are many legging styles, which you can't even tell are leggings. Jeggings is a term that I've used or that I've heard used most to describe these kinds of leggings in disguise. Um, And a lot of people feel that those are okay and appropriate. And some people just wear them in place of pants. On the other side, some women feel that leggings are too revealing of your bum all on their own. They can make women appear unprofessional or make their appearance too sexual in the workplace. Personally, I love my jegging options. I have two pairs of black jeggings that are made to look like skinny slacks. They even have pockets and you cannot tell the difference. And I do wear these most days out of the week more than any other pair of pants because they are so comfortable and they look professional, but they are those leggings in disguise. As for the traditional leggings, just those tight skin tight ones without any illusion of looking like pants, I do wear those too, 
but not without a dress or a long tunic to cover up my bum because I feel too self-conscious to do that. And I usually don't wear them to work, actually. I'll buy shirts at the tall section, and this is kind of the legging tunic combo for the weekend is what I'll do. What about you, Sarah? Do you think SLPs should wear leggings to work? Um, Yeah, I think people should do what they want. And I think that, but it's also important to say that like different offices have different dress codes. Mm -hmm. So it also totally depends. And I think the tipping point has gone too far with leggings as pants and it's just the reality now and there's no going back. Um, Personally, I don't wear, you know, like the leggings with the long shirt. I'm only 5'2". So I actually look just really disproportionate when I do that. So I don't personally wear leggings, but it's more a style thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, with a giant shirt, being a shorter person, it makes me look like I'm wearing like my big brother's clothes. <laughs> and I don't even have a big brother. So where did I get those clothes? It's just not a good look for me. So it's like kind of doesn't matter to me. And you know, as far as if someone else is wearing leggings to work, I'm that's their choice. <laughs> I do have to say, though, I don't know if I feel comfortable when I see folks that just wear them as pants. With a short t-shirt. With a yeah. short t-shirt, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, if you're wearing them as tights, then it's just a tight substitute and not something totally different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So... Ultimately, we don't have an answer for you. You should wear what makes you feel good and what's appropriate for your workplace. But I do think that this is an issue that's fun to talk about um, because people have pretty strong opinions on it. Mm -hmm. So up next, a self-care challenge that will get you moving. So the self-care challenge is something that we've come up with to challenge you at home in a little tip or trick that you can try to increase your happiness or your health. And they're easy to implement. And we've got a good one for you today. And this is from Kelly McGonigal. She's a health psychologist, which sounds like a fabulous job. And it's an interview on the Feel Good Effect podcast. Her challenge to listeners, which I wanted to share on here as well, is to find a form of movement that you love, that makes you feel like the best version of yourself, and do it consistently. It really made me think of movements that bring me joy, like walking, hiking, yoga, and a few others. And also for stress relief, a lot of things that people suggest are like meditation, where you're just sitting still. For me, I love the ability to hike or walk or do yoga and physically work out my tension and energy, and it's brought me a lot of happiness. So that's your self-care challenge. I would add dancing in there for you too, Sarah. Um, One... uh... One movement that I enjoy that I would like to do more of is swimming. So I will take this challenge and I will try to find ways that I can incorporate more swimming into my life. There are limited gym pools in our area. And if you're going to swim in a lake or even at the coast, it's kind of a seasonal thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is a good challenge. But when I swim, I feel so happy and good. So this is something that I would like to, to take on. Mm-hmm. And that's very nice of you to compliment my dancing. I don't know how good of a dancer I am, but it does relieve stress. And like I was saying a moment ago, I I do feel like there's a lot of kind of sitting still calming down things. But like if I've had a really frustrating conversation with someone or I'm just like in a funk, I'll put, you know, my headphones on and just like dance for five minutes. And it is one of the best ways to break up tension in my body that I've found. So that's 
what I like to do, and I hope you like it too. Just find that simple movement and find a way to incorporate it into your day and bring more joy to your day through that. Next up, we're going to talk a little bit about what to do when you get those requests from parents or others for more services. Mm-hmm. And we are inviting you through the doors of our speech rooms in a segment we call from the speech room of where we discuss with you what we'd talk about if you came into our speech rooms right now for a conversation. <laughs> we love this segment because as SLPs, we can tend to be isolated in our profession. Many of us might be the only SLP where we work. And even if we work with others, chances are we just all really have our head down and we're doing the work. So let's get to chatting. Uh, Sari, what's, what's going on at your work right now? So a topic that came up for me, and I'm, I'm sure it comes up for a lot of school SLPs, is access to services over the summer. And I always feel bad because there is this long period of time in the summer where many students are not getting any direct speech therapy. Um, so when I got asked this question recently, I had to explain outside options and resources for speech intervention, which was fine. Um, I just truthfully wish there was a more accessible option. However, that being said, part of what I love about my school position is on a personal level, that summer break, right? (laughs) And so I don't really want to be the SLP that does services over the Mm -hmm. summer. Yeah. One thing that an administrator once brought up to me is, you know, when we're in an IEP meeting and we're being asked for a lot of things to just ask ourselves, are we really the only resource for this? And I think you know, maybe, yes, maybe there are limited options, but maybe there are other options. And I think it's helpful to think about it that way, that school is just one location where you can get speech therapy. There's also hospitals and private clinics. There are also nonprofit organizations and really brainstorming what else is available, what other community resources are there. And if there's not speech therapy, like, for example, my younger language kids I would love to see them in, you know, a language-rich summer program, um, even if it's not direct speech therapy Mm -hmm. service. That's a great idea. And I I know um, I wanted to bring it up because it's not just summer programs, too, though. Um, It is those requests for more services that do come up, like you said. Mm -hmm. And I can just feel that um, pressure and some level of guilt that, Maybe I'm not enough for that student, but this is such an important reminder because um, more isn't always better. There are other options for parents to do, and it doesn't, like you said, there are creative options where they can get a language-enriched program outside of school where they're getting a lot of the things that we're working on anyway. So it's so important to keep in mind and uh, not degrade yourself. Mm -hmm. You are doing what you can do. You are doing enough and you can't just keep emptying your cup until there's nothing left to give. Yeah. And there also has been some research on uh, speech therapy that's done like over a period of 12 weeks within a break. Mm -hmm. So for example, rest for apraxia. So this idea that we have to do once a week, every single week, every single week of the year, it's maybe not the best service delivery and it's maybe not necessary so I think that if you're listening you may have a strong feeling about this one way or the other but um, we can't control whether or not 
children are in language-rich environments over the summer. However, when they are, we know that you can really soak in your learning when you have low-pressure play. We know that for reading and vocabulary development, having varied and new experiences and diverse experiences that maybe you can't get during the school year is so important. So I think just keeping in mind, you know, number one, it is the way it is, right? We have very little control over it. But number two, uh, some of our kids really are getting language-rich summer experiences that are going to bring them back in the fall uh, with more experiences and more background information and knowledge and vocabulary than when they left. Mm, Absolutely. All right, with that being said, let's dive into answering a listener question, which we've also made into today's main topic. So a listener asked for a day in the life of several different work settings, and we thought it was such a great idea that we wanted to do that today. And so we are talking about being a school SLP as an employee. That's what Sari does. Mm-hmm. And a day in the life of doing telepractice as a contract SLP for a school district, which is what I do. Okay, so in my typical work day, the first thing I do in the morning is set out the materials that I plan to use for that day. I turn on my diffuser, select an essential oil to put inside of it, (laughs) and check my emails. I have about 30 minutes to do this before my sessions start. Um, The morning sessions are usually pretty back-to-back for me right now because that's when most classes are doing activities outside of their core curriculum. My sessions are 30 minutes, but typically they end up being about 25 when you include the transition time from their class to the speech room. I also have some students who are who come for about 15 minutes who aren't on IEPs who are being guested into my program and uh, they come and get some direct services for these shorter periods and then they have some homework that they do at home. And there aren't a whole lot of these kids, but they are integrated in throughout the day. If it's a day when I've scheduled an evaluation or paperwork window, then that's exactly what I'll be doing during that time. I'll either have a student in my speech room doing a formal evaluation, or I'll be typing IEPs or evaluation reports, or out in classrooms, or at recess doing observations. Right now on Mondays and Thursdays is when I have about an hour and a half window blocks to do evals and paperwork. Otherwise, I may have a few short breaks between sessions, which I mainly use to wipe down my speech table and reset for the next group. Mm -hmm. Lunch is 45 minutes. I do take it most days, although sometimes I sacrifice it to get ahead on the paperwork. Not as often as I used to during my CF or even last year, but still on occasion, It does happen. My speech sessions continue throughout the rest of the day. When students are released to go home, I still have an hour left of the workday. First thing I do is log the data and my session notes for the students that I saw that day. And then if I don't have a meeting to go to afterwards, I'm usually either lesson planning or doing some other form of paperwork. Do you uh, stay late to do paperwork or bring work home? I stay late. I I mean, I've gotten a lot better, but I try to draw a line about bringing work home. I know this is a preference thing. I have other friends who say they'd rather be doing the work at home, but I would rather not. 
I would rather keep work at work and be fully present at home when I'm home. So if I do have a little bit that carries over, I tend to stay late. And for doing your evaluation reports and IEPs and other paperwork, um, how much focused paperwork time do you have without interruptions? Um, Well, I have those scheduled hour and a half windows on Mondays and Thursdays, but they're not always uninterrupted, right? Someone will know that that's the time when I'm not seeing students and they'll come in with a question. Uh, My SLPA is there one of the days. And during that day, I do try to get a lot of paperwork done while she's seeing students, but it's definitely not interrupted because I'm listening in, monitoring, intervening when necessary. So it's not really full quiet time. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the day, if there's not a meeting, that is usually an uninterrupted paperwork time. And what is the most stressful part of working in the school setting? Uh, I think the most stressful part of working in the schools is probably balancing caseload demands up against limited resources, meaning like limited time, funds, um, you know, those types of things. I've gotten pretty creative and have some good systems down now. And also, fortunately, I am not lacking in support. I have a great school and administrative team, which helps a lot to ease the load. And that makes a huge difference. Mm, yeah. All right, Sarah, let's, let's dive into your telepractice day. Okay, so I, I did want to say before I start that I don't have a typical telepractice job. So with a lot of companies, you are doing only telepractice, seeing students for me. I am three weeks uh, telepractice, one week in person. So that's when I'm on site doing evaluations, doing IEP meetings. I travel and I stay in a hotel. I also do have an SLP aide on site in the speech room during the day. So those things are quite unusual. And so I did want to mention that first, that I don't work like for a big company. So if you're thinking about making the switch, definitely talk to someone who does 100% telepractice if that's what you're looking at. So again, with that hybrid model, I own my own private practice. I do that half-time and I do these school contracts half-time. So I work full-time. So let's see. Hold on. I lost me, please. Sorry. So my SLP aide can go to get the kids, help kids stay on target and kind of (laughs) watching and paying attention and can facilitate a unifying token activity or a game. And I'm going to go through my day and here I'm going to try to add as many ideas as possible. So this isn't necessarily like what I would do all in one day, but I wanted to show the variety of things you can do in telepractice. So it's kind of a conglomeration and I'm combining some elements for just a better educational piece for you listening. So uh, my groups are 20 to 30 minutes long, depending on the group. And thankfully they are uh, pretty small. So I did try to walk you through a whole day, but because it's telepractice and I wanted to include like activity ideas, it got too long. So I'm just going until lunch. So 7.30 to 8, drinking coffee, checking my work email in my home office. In my home office, I share a room. It's half my office, half my husband's office. 
and I have a standing desk, which I really like. I have lots of materials in Google Drive and my schedule is there. So I'll look at the schedule and make sure I've shared the material in Google Drive so my aide can print and prep it. And I do try to have that done the week before. So I only write my lessons like a day or a week ahead of time because I never know how fast kids will grow. All right, at 8 a.m. I will see my preschool group, my aid walk students uh, to me and back to class. So that does mean that I have a few minutes between each group to log data or attendance. So back to my 8 a.m. group. This is a small group that focuses mostly on language with some articulation. For that group, we're doing a farm theme. So we're working on farm vocabulary, including nouns and verbs. So as a group, I'm on the screen and I'm going to pre-teach some vocabulary for five animals and five verbs, actions those animals might do. And then I have an interactive vocabulary book. So one of those vocabulary books that has... Um, like Velcro and you place it on the page and you listen for directions and the kids can do that with me and my aide to reinforce the activity. So for example, the cow is eating for a simple sentence and they'll take off the cow from the side of the book and put it on. Then we're going to pull out farm bingo and I'll use the bingo pieces. So a farmer, a cow, a goose. And um, if I pull out a piece or my aide does, we're going to say, what does that animal do? Or what is that animal doing? So for example, the cow is mooing, the cow is eating grass, um, and then they can put it on their bingo board and maybe the, the kids will even repeat after me. And after that, uh, we're getting pretty wiggly in that group, so we'll do elephant or play-doh or a quick movement break. And then if I have more time, I'll go back to the earlier activities and scaffold up or down. So at 8.30, I'm going to see a small group of children in a self-contained classroom, and I may read a book and target retelling, answering questions, summarizing, and sentence construction. So I'll have the book on my side, and I'll be holding it up as I read, and my learners will pull the chairs around the computer, we'll read together, and I'll pause as I read and ask questions and do the dialogic reading. It's the strategies most of us use naturally that are evidence-based, and if the students are a little older, I might have a writing activity next where they sequence and write what happened in the story and illustrate it. But um, this particular group, we're not at the writing level yet, so they may go back to the table with my aid and just illustrate, draw a picture of the piece of the story, and then come back to me and tell a full sentence about something that happened in the story, because that's, that's about as challenging um, as they need for now. Um, at nine, I'm going to do another self-contained classroom uh, group. It'll look very similar to my previous group at 9.30. And again, um, I want to go back to at the district I work in, it's um, ages three through middle school. So it is a little different. So at 9.30, I have another preschool group. So again, we're going to this one. We are really working on verbs and getting lots of repetition of verbs. So I'll have some verb pictures. Uh, I have a resource I got from TPT. I can use AirPlay on my iPad to share the pictures or my aide has printed them ahead of time and we're going to act out verbs, match picture verbs, use verbs in sentences, play memory with verbs, hide verb pictures around the room. It's all about verbs. Next up at 10, I have a kindergarten articulation group and we're doing a find the picture activity. So my students are gonna find their target word in the picture, practice saying it, and then color it. Um, 
so we can do that together or sometimes uh, there are two students in this group one kid might be coloring and finding pictures and the other learner might be with me on headphones and then we'll switch so that they can show me what they've colored and the words they've found using their good uh, their good speech sounds and again I can screen share my iPad screen if I'm using like for example the busy bee articulation um, activities um, using airplay next up I have it's about 1040 by now a third grade language group so this is where I'm going to read a story out loud with the learners huddled up. We're going to construct complete sentences. We're going to stay on topic and talk about what happened on each page. I'm going to model using conjunctions to tell about the story. So for example, if we're working on identifying the character and setting first, I'll do that mini lesson first and reinforce it throughout. Um, and then they're going to go back to the table and work on um, sequencing three things that happened in the story, illustrating and writing out a complete sentence. If they need to know how to spell something or they get stuck, I can help or my aide can, for example, it's a lot of spelling questions. <laughs> she can help with those. Um, and I usually have them write and draw the beginning, middle and end in the story and then practice retelling it with me. And I can help them and model and kind of make it more complex by expanding sentences um, and they can give each other tips as well. And then at 11 and 11.30, I have um, more articulation groups, kindergarten and first grade. So I do similar things to the find the picture, taking turns with airplay and the busy bee stuff um, then. And then I have lunch. So again, this is just half of my day, but I wanted to go into detail because a lot of times people will just say, well, what do you do with telepractice? You know, it must be totally different. But for my particular job, it's really similar. I worked in the schools um, as a school employee for, I believe, six years before I switched to school contracting with this hybrid model of telepractice and travel. And after school, I'll have a little paperwork time due to teachers' schedules and the teacher contract at the specific schools where I work. We can't really have IEP meetings after school, so we typically do IEP days where we'll do a bunch of IEPs all in the same day. I try to do those when I'm traveling and I'm there in person whenever possible, but sometimes I do have to do IEP meetings over video chat, which is not my favorite, to be honest. Um, but I try to do as much on my travel weeks in person as I can with meetings, contacting parents, and doing evaluations in person. You know, I think both of these snapshots are pretty consistent for SLPs serving in schools, either through face-to-face -face services or telepractice models. It's just a different medium, it seems like, for the services. Is, is that correct? Yes, and I'm so glad you mentioned that. Uh, we're basically doing the same things, and I think that a lot of times people act like telepractice in schools is so different, and it is quite different. I, I don't want to minimize the fact that I'm seen as an outsider and a contract worker. It's difficult to maintain relationships with families and other teachers. There are some downsides, um, but the basics really are the same. Mm. So I did want to highlight that point just because I know there may be people listening who are nervous to make the switch. Maybe they feel like they don't know what it looks like or how to use the technology. So likely you'll be just fine. Um, and when you get stuck, you can typically ask someone at your contract company for help um, brainstorming what to do next. So there you have it. That's today's show. We talked about what it's been like for me working at my former elementary school back in my hometown. 
We shared what's going well and what's challenging for us in our lives right now. I shared a lazy lesson about toppling towers. And Sarah and I both reviewed a day in the life of both of our current work jobs that relate to schools. And I hope that you liked the show. And if you did, would you consider writing us a review? They always make us smile. They sometimes make us cry tears of joy. And they always mean so much to us. So thank you. If you want to dig into these episodes even more, we do have some freebies that go with a variety of self-care topics that are in our episodes, and they're only available to newsletter subscribers. If you want in, you can sign up on our homepage or with the direct link of slphappyhour.com slash newsletter. We hope this episode was helpful and you learned something by listening. So that's today's show. We hope you enjoyed listening in just as much as we enjoyed recording it. We hope this episode has been a slice of an SLP happy hour for you. Thank you for listening. Until next time.